lightning. Inspirational. Inspirational. Powerfully refining. Powerfully refining. And unapologetically controversial. Conversations with the Royal Impress. The entire world knows the secret of who you are. Now is the time to step into your queendom and become the Royal Empress that you're meant to be. One woman at a time. Conversations with the Royal Empress. Now Akima, she's the analytical Empress. Akima, she's the Empress that will challenge you. Now, straighten up your crown and be elevated through conversation. Conversation with the Royal Empress. Welcome back to Conversations with the Royal Empress. This is Dr. Hakima. And joining me is my sister from another mother, my kindred spirit, and co-host of Royal Empress, Akila. We have a special guest joining us today. Our special guest is Camille. And I want to say a little bit about this sister. You are going to love her. Camille is a wonderful daughter, mother, criminal defense attorney, and freedom fighter. But I'm going to add a little something extra to that about that. She is a wonderful sister. I remember the first time I, I ever came across Sister Camille. It was, we were, our, our paths crossed because of our careers. So I saw her and I said, oh my Lord, there is a sister that is an attorney in a courtroom with a black female judge. I was like, black girl magic. Uh, and I was so impressed with her. And I said, man, I really wish this sister much success. And I would see her from time to time due to a work situation. But then, one day, I was formally introduced to my sister, and I said, I know this sister from somewhere. I know her. And we got to talking in the clip. We met at work, and it's been gravy ever since. So I just want to welcome you, Camille, my sister. I love you. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, I appreciate it, and thank <laughs> you for those wonderful words, and it's been such a pleasure likewise meeting and getting to know you and 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 just our paths crossing in that way so i appreciate you all having me on tonight okay okay so uh today's topic and this is how we met in the criminal justice system so the topic of today is the criminal justice system is it bent or is it just broken what do you guys think i'm let i'm gonna let madam uh criminal defense attorney speak <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, if I don't have to be politically correct, from what I see on an everyday basis working um, in the criminal courts, I would personally say that it's broken. I think it's, it's far past bent uh, just because it's so deeply uh, rooted uh, in justice that the bent has been like bent so much that it broke mm. yeah it, it's it's pretty bad i mean you know you, you have to work in it and navigate in it and i know some may say well how do you work in it if you think it's broken um but i feel like that's why i'm there to uh 
do what I can to safeguard uh, people's rights and try to remedy some of the wrongs that are done by the system, um, you know, and, and just be there as someone who cares and, and a watchful eye and someone who's willing to fight, uh, fight back. You have to fight back against this system. So I do it. I do it the legal way, but I'm pretty fierce about it. <laughs> there are so many people who have a, a negative view, even about some criminal defense attorneys, because I think that people, because the, people feel that the system is broken, they almost feel like you have some people who feel like attorneys and judges are in cahoots with one another and not really mm. recognizing that there are attorneys who take their job seriously. They're not there trying to make a name for themselves. They're not there. They really are, as you said, Camille, freedom fighters. They are really there. And I don't know if I, if, if it's few and far between or, if more people are really there because they truly want to fight, you know, to give people a chance in this system. So, um, I, I mean, you know, you, you, you come across people every day. I'm, I'm not in court every day. <laughs> I, I actually agree with that. And I think, um, that people do view criminal defense attorneys you hear on the snake and you know i i've even had clients that if you say well i want to uh talk to the state and negotiate they think oh well if you speak with them that you're working with them mm -hmm. um and so it, it's a it's a misunderstanding on one part of just how the system is and how you have to uh, still communicate with the different parties in order to even get what you want in the end. You know, it, it has to be communication. And so I explain that to my clients and let them know, listen, I'm your attorney. You know, all the things that need to be done and should be done on your behalf, be, be sure that I'm going to do them. And I'm never going to sell you out to the other side. But on the other side, I know that there are some criminal defense attorneys and even other type of attorneys who are not so honorable in their mission and they are not so dedicated. See, the, the thing about me is I represent majority of my own people. And so I look at my clients as me, as my family, as it could easily be anyone in my immediate circle who could be on that other side of the law. And so I always kind of remember that with everyone I'm dealing with, I deal with young men who are my son's age. So how would I want someone to treat my son? So I try to keep that in, in my practice. And when I deal with my clients and I try to keep the judgment out and in this line of work, you're dealing with a lot of serious allegations. You have to keep the judgment out in order to be effective. And I think there, there are a lot of defense attorneys who really, I think, are in it for the money. And I'm not here to slam anyone, but it's just, we're just honest, you know, there's bad teachers, there's great teachers. So every line of work, um, you know, I've seen people hire certain ones and they plea them out on the next court date when they had a wonderful trial. 
You know, mm-hmm. so everyone is not going to put the same effort in. Everyone is not going to want to put the same time in. And uh, I'm certainly not perfect, but because I care, I think that some of the care is out of some people's practice. And mm-hmm. so it then becomes a bad name for everyone. Uh, but I know I have some wonderful colleagues who are passionate and really dedicated to their clients and really um, angered about the injustices that happen. And they allow that to help fuel them in their um, trials and their negotiations with the state because they really understand how unjust the system is. And when you really understand it and see it and allow it to kind of anger you and not to make you want to fight and just be angry, but to let it fuel you in, in what your duties are, then it's a lot different. And, and Akila, I do, I get a lot of clients, even their mothers are just like, wow, I, you know, it's just been such a pleasure and it makes me feel so good. And it's not to toot my own horn, but it also is a little bit sad because it, it makes you know that it's the unusual, you know, that it's not the norm. And, and that's very sad, especially in a system that is already so against everything, mm-hmm. you know, really that's supposed to be just. And so for it to be just that much of a shocker that you really care and that you'll give a, a, a um, encouragement outside of something related to the case, you know, that you'll say, hey, well, how's your housing? Or, you know, I want you to go back to school, young man. And, you know, they're like, wow, you know, she really cares about us. She sees us. And that's what I try to take pride. I want to see my clients and I want to make sure that they're seen as people because really once you enter into that system, you're the bad person, you're the defendant, you know, the, the state and the trial doesn't even want to say your name. Their argument is the defendant did this and they're pointing the finger. So you become nameless. Mm-hmm. Really? You have a case number and you're the sure. defendant. <laughs> And a lot of times to the, the officers who are handling you, not all of them, there are some great ones, but you're the defendant. You did something bad. That's the only reason you would be here. Mm-hmm. But in reality, all it takes is one allegation for someone to be there. And it has, doesn't even have to be an allegation that is supported by any or much evidence. So, you know, I, I don't want people to think it's so hard to become a defendant. <laughs> and that might not be for the most severe crime but if I say hey listen I saw her come up here and she broke my window we might have to figure out later that I really lied on you because we ha- I had a bias against you or we have some old beef and I just wanted to use the system because I'm just one of those people that misuse the system but all that happens after you've had to either hire an attorney mm-hmm. or bond out or tell your job that I have this case now, or lose your apartment, or lose your job. You know what I mean? So I, I think people need to realize that everyone in the system is not bad. And really, even those that are bad, who might have done something bad, um, maybe, yes, they might need to be held accountable. I, I'm not in love with crime. I'm not for crime. And, you know, I think certain actions deserve consequences but I think we need to get there in a fair and just way. I think the police need to find the evidence in a fair and just way. I think you need to be 
treated fairly as you're brought in so that you can have your day in court and they can produce all this wonderful evidence they have against you. And you have a good, competent attorney that's going to make sure that it's pr produced and presented properly. And then if the chips fall where they may and you're guilty, then, hey, you're guilty. Now, I don't agree with necessarily the sentencing, you know, and the way the law has mandated certain sentences. But for now, I have to fight on this end. And then maybe one day I'll try to help remedy that as well. Um, but I do agree we can get a bad name and I try to make sure that uh, people can leave from my experience understanding that that's not how all criminal defense attorneys are. Or attorneys in general, because people sometimes... Attorneys in general, absolutely. Yeah, I think people kind of have a bad taste in their mouth sometimes when it comes to... Um, lawyers in general, lawyer, you know, you, you get all these bad uh, designations and not understanding that everybody is not like that. But, and I've had those experiences too, uh, where people are like, you're different than I thought you would be. And, and you're thinking like, what is that supposed to mean? But there are lawyers who don't. And I think that one of the things, I, I had a conversation with somebody and as we're talking about this, I think people need to understand that just because a lawyer is downtown and has a high hourly rate does not mean that they're a good lawyer. Mm. And I had someone, I was having a conversation with someone and they, they, they alluded to the fact that, well, you know, the lawyer downtown, I would assume is going to be better than a, a lawyer that's like, say on 90 something in Ashland. And I thought, no, that's not what that means. So you're looking at the, the office of the attorney and not understanding this. Maybe that attorney is the freedom fighter and he wants to be in the community mm. to be accessible to you. And you want to run downtown and pay somebody who's charging more money because they're spending more money on their rent. Mm. Yeah. So I think that that's something that people have to understand too. Don't go looking at where the lawyer's office is now, I'm not saying to go get somebody that's <laughs> in a shack somewhere, but <laughs> I'm just saying that seriously, though, you have so many people they look at it's, you know, it's that attitude that many of us have. And so you're not going to get justice thinking that the only way to get it is with is because you think that you can pay this amount of money. Now, granted, there are some really good attorneys who happen to be high price attorneys who are high profile attorneys who take high profile cases. We're not talking about that. You know, I'm talking about the fact that people are equating where a, an attorney's office is to, to determine whether they are a good lawyer. If I'm not mistaken, uh, what's the attorney, James Montgomery? James Montgomery was mm -hmm. in downtown, was he, Camille? Um, I'm not sure. I don't think so. Um, he may... It, I don't think he was like in downtown in one of those high rise buildings. Neither was, um, shoot. I mean, it's, it's quite a few of them that I can think of who, who were out there, but, uh, accessible. Standish, yeah. Standish Willis. Yeah. I don't think he was. I don't believe so. Yeah. So I'm just saying, so there, there were, there are really great attorneys who don't necessarily have that address. And I just really hope that people don't think, that you have to go somewhere, you know, 
And because this one charges $600 an hour, that means he's a better attorney. That's not what that means. Oh, I, I agree with you on that. I've, I, when I was an officer and, and being assigned to court rates of taking inmates to court, I have literally had to pull inmates off an attorney that they spent all that money per hour for to come in and not really be prepared and not really understanding this person's background. And this mm-hmm. possibly was a lawyer and family paid for, but just didn't do the research on this person. But yet I've seen um, inmates have a public defender and the public defender defended them better, did more research on their case than a paid attorney. Because some people think, oh, a paid attorney is better than a public defender. And that's not necessarily true. Mm-hmm. So people have these misconceptions of what a good lawyer is and what a bad lawyer is. Camille, can you expound on that or just clarify what what is a good what people should be looking for if they if they're looking for a lawyer and what should be like those these these uh, red flag signs? Um, well, I would say that you know just I think some of the general things would be um just from your first meeting uh you know you, the first interview you have with the client um just some of the questions that are asked how much are they trying to understand like you said about the person um not just someone who is only looking at the police report but you want to just kind of have an idea really like a holistic and and I know everyone can't you know try to be the social worker, the lawyer, the this, that's not at all. I mean, I I know the job is to defend this charge, but I think really how the person listens, the attention that the person gives you um, for those, if it's 15 minutes, if it's an hour long, whatever time, but there's a connection that you're going to feel and you're going to feel valued by that person you're going to feel like they hear you, um, like they're actually paying attention and interested in helping. You want to hear their assessment of the case. And every lawyer doesn't know about, off the top of their head, every charge and every case. But you certainly want someone who, if they don't know, they're going to say, hey, I'm going to look this up. I think we may have some issues. I'm going to look into them. So you want someone willing to nece- not necessarily act like they know everything, but more than willing to find out. Because the law is always evolving. There's always going to be something out there that you don't know off the top of your head, but you have access to it. And and so you may have some of the same charges come in, but this may be something you never had before. That doesn't mean that you can't jam on that case, right? It's that you have to take the time to find out what the statute says. Okay, what is the law saying on this? What are our facts? You just have to care, really. And I think people will know. I think some people only want someone that's going to tell them what they want to hear. And I'm not that person. (laughs) And I've sometimes had to tell clients, listen, don't get upset. I'm not the reason you're here. I want to help. But at the same time, you know, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to sugarcoat. I know you don't like what I'm saying. Maybe you have to tell them, this is a class X. The minimum on this is six years. I didn't make those rules, but I, I'm certainly obligated to inform you and want you to be knowledgeable of what's going on. And I think a lot of clients I see, you know, and some of the ones that hire these, you know, fancy private attorneys, and again, some of them are wonderful, 
But I have heard people stop me in the hallway and say, hey, I like the way you were talking to your client. You know, I have a private. He doesn't tell Mm -hmm. me anything about the case. You know, I don't know what happened on the last three court dates. Why? Why? Mm -hmm. I said, why are you paying him? Yes. I said, then why aren't you asking the same questions if you could stop me in the hallway? And I appreciated the compliment, but that's your money, (laughs) right? That person is working for you. So you need to ask these questions and you need to make him sit down and explain to you what's going on. And some of it may go over your head because you're not a lawyer, but break it down to people. Don't talk at people. I think you want a lawyer who will try to make, you know, break down some of the legal terms just so that you can understand what's going on. I share the statute with the clients. Look, these are the elements that the state has to prove. This is the evidence they have. This is what they're going to try to use for this element. This is what they're lacking on. You know, I want them to be knowledgeable because I've seen too many clients, especially young black males in the lockup, and you say, okay, well, what happened, you know, at the other court? I don't know. I didn't hear. I don't know. They just said some stuff. I mean, clueless. And it just hurts my heart because they are just, shifting through this system of this maze just like with a bag over their head don't know anything not asking the questions no one's trying to explain it to them and they don't know they are being led to slaughter and are just Mm. clueless and it's terrifying and i'm like young man how old are you 19 i said okay i said if you've never had to grow up right now is the time I need you to know what your charge is. I need you to know what your bond is. I do a lot of mothering (laughs) in in, in my lockup, you know, because I can't help it. You know, maybe it's because I have a 23-year-old son, you know, who thankfully has not had any contact with the system. But I also know that it's a blessing that he hasn't had any contact with the system and not that we're so much better than anyone else, right? We've been blessed. But I just, it hurts my heart. And I want to believe if I didn't have a son, that I didn't, if I didn't have any kids, that I would still have this same heart and want people to understand this system because it's so ugly. You know, it's such an ugly system. And, and you've got to be knowledgeable a little bit. You've got to read at the jail if you can, if you know how to read. You know, and that, that's another problem. Sometimes the education levels mm. are just so low that they don't really even understand. And, you know, things happen so fast in court. The sheriff is rushing you back. You want your lawyers trying to turn and say what happened in that three-minute spiel that the state was talking, the lawyers talking, the judges talking. You don't know what's going on. Everything is so fast. A lot of it is is legal mumble-jumble. You know what I mean? And, and so you want a lawyer that's going to break things down for you, and you want a lawyer who's going to keep you up to date. Now, that doesn't mean that person has time to talk to you all the time because lawyers have a lot of cases. And I know when people have a case, they feel like, this is your only case and I need to talk to you all the time. And I have those clients too. And it's like, look, I got you, but right now I can't talk about it. So you also have to understand that you leave a voicemail. They may not be able to get right back to you. All lawyers don't have secretaries and people who can, you know, check the voicemail. They're out in court doing the work. They're out in the um, streets interviewing maybe or doing things. So you have to be patient as well. But I think clients will know if they're really into their case and they're looking for someone who can help them, then they're going to be honest with that person because 
I don't like when the client doesn't tell me the truth and I find it out from the judge or the state's attorney and it puts me on the spot. That's not a good place to be in. And I'm the wrong person to be lying to because I'm the one that has your back. So you want to be truthful with your attorney, but you also want them to be truthful with you. You want them to be interested in your case and you want them to be someone who is not going to string you along. You don't want to start talking about pleading guilty in the first, second, third meetings. Now, <laughs> if, if you have a lot of evidence against you and that lawyer says, look, you know, this is not looking good, right? And this is a class X. And if the state is willing to reduce it from a class X because they have you on video, they got your fingerprints, you know, they have this, then it may be in your best interest to not take the risk and go to trial. If we can get a reduced sentence where you're doing two instead of six years, you know, your parole may be different. Sometimes you have to have those honest conversations. And at the end of the day, it's up to the client. But I'm going to let you know the risk going in. Even when I have a great case, I'm going to tell you, I think we can get this. But I can never guarantee you a win. Never. Because you're dependent on a judge or you're dependent on 12 people from within Cook County. And that's not always dependable, even with the greatest cases. So I never want to guarantee. So you don't want a lawyer that's going to promise you anything other than their best efforts. And I think those are the things that you really want to look at as someone who will keep you posted and not just milk you for money, you know, but at the end of the day, private attorneys, um, they use that money also to fight your case because they're hiring investigators. And so I know there's a lot of chase for money for a lot of attorneys, not just defense attorneys, um, but chasing down clients to pay is, you know, not the best feeling in the world, I'm sure, either. You know, and it doesn't allow you to do your job well. So if you want your attorney to do your job well and you choose to pay an attorney, you know, then be honest about your abilities to pay and know that it can affect their ability to represent you as well. I mean, what do you suggest for, and particularly for young people who have run-ins with the police, if they get arrested, what is, what, what is your motherly, lawyerly advice? My motherly and lawyerly advice would be to not resist, um, not try to have the verbal battle with the police. Um, let your lawyer do that later. And I know, even as I'm saying this, half of my brain, if I'm honest, is saying, but Camille, you probably would be the one having that verbal battle if you got arrested. <laughs> I'm just keeping it real. But it's really not the best. And when my mind tells me that, I also have to check my own self because you get infuriated and you see all these things on TV and you see the police just over and over and over again. And I know it's so many great ones, but it's so many not great ones. And it's so much abuse of power and murder and so much stuff that it's really just not worth it. And even when you do, like we, I hate that you should just comply. I hate those words every time something happens and you get the people that post, well, if they had just complied, because it's so easy to say. Oh, you should have just complied until you're in that situation. Because I know so many people that would just be, what? I didn't do anything. What do you mean put my hands behind my back? I mean, just the natural human in us 
if we don't understand a situation and why it's escalating in a certain way, you're going to want to say, wait a minute. No, I'm not. What do you mean put my handcuffs? But especially for young black men now who are just preyed upon, I would just say, listen, let someone keep your mouth closed, number one. Don't make any comments to the police if you're arrested other than I want an attorney. If they say, listen, your friend told on you, if you tell us this and that, we'll let you out. They are lying to you. And the court has allowed them to lie. There's case law that says up to a certain point, they can say things to get confessions out of you. Keep your mouth closed. If you did do something and and you want to be honest about it, do it through your lawyer. So I'm not saying don't ever tell something if you really did it. Just don't tell it to the police. There's a way that you can do that. Keep your mouth closed. Keep your hands to yourself. Now, I don't want to entice or, you know, if, if you're being physically abused or battered, um, you know, there there is case law that says, you can use self-defense if an officer is doing unlawful actions, but the question is going to be who's going to be make that decision on it or if his actions were unlawful or not. So you just want to be careful now. Of course, you're not going to just sit there and and always allow someone to you can't breathe or you you know you you, you know you're going to want to naturally your body's going to want to resist. But if you can and if it's not that type of situation. Don't argue. Um, just say, I want a lawyer and let your lawyer do the battles. And, and then we're going to pray that you can actually get to a court and in front of other people and, and pass that encounter with the police. Because it's gotten that bad where you really have to pray about every encounter with the police, which is really ridiculous and, and terrifying and infuriating. And um, really something that has to be stopped. I mean, it's, it's, it's really um, just a bad situation. And in particular here in our city, but in cities all over. Um, and now with the invention of uh, phone cameras, you know, we're seeing it, but this is, didn't just start happening. That's right. You know, it's just now being captured on film. You know, thankfully, but sometimes even when it's captured on film, the people who have the power to do something about it don't. It just makes people in the communities and around the world aware, you know, if they weren't already aware. Um, you know, but if, if it's just an encounter uh, that doesn't, um, you know, turn physical, just don't try to talk your way out of it. I get a lot of clients that do that. You know, well, I just wanted to explain don't because your words can and more than likely will get twisted. Ask for an attorney. Um, don't spit. Don't fight. Um, it's not going to help. It just will add more charges and it will make your attorney's job harder at beating probably the initial charge. So that would be my advice, you know, and, and every situation is unique, um, you know, so it's hard to say, but just in those general encounters, um, even when you 
really feel and know that your rights are being violated, really uh, allow your attorney to to fight that. I have one and question for you. Mm-hmm. I, have, I have a question for you now. I'm and and I and I encounter this a lot, um, just from being a, a counselor. Now I'm a, I'm a mother. Um, I'm just going to give you an example. So I just want to know how what would be your advice and how a mother would handle it. I'm a mother. My child's first time locked up. What should I be doing? Because for for a parent whose child's going through this crim, the criminal justice system for the first time is a very scary uh, process. It's not like there's a lot of information for you. It's not like people are helpful. What uh, tips could you give someone who's experiencing that for the first time or family member who's experiencing that for the first time? Absolutely. Well, I think if you are privy to the to the knowledge that the person is being arrested, like in real time, you're either present or you know what's happening. The first thing I would suggest is to get an attorney down to the station. And some people say, I don't have money for an attorney. I would have to gather money together. Well, the beauty of that is uh, actually the public defender's office has a unit and also first uh, legal defense has uh, attorneys who volunteer and the public defender has staff attorneys who the only job is to respond to the police station. Now, that will not be the attorney that stays on the case. But they will go down, they will check in, they will do a visit, make sure that the person has not been battered in any way, uh, be able to tell that uh, person, listen, don't answer any questions. The police, once they have an attorney, cannot question them further if they choose not to be questioned. And so it gives that first gate, right, to say no. Stop. Now you've arrested me. I, I can't really do anything about that at this second, but no more right now. And so that's what I would suggest. And I'm sorry I don't have that hotline number, um, but I can get it to you to post where they can call. But if they want to just call, at least for Cook County of uh, the Public Defender's Office, there is a police station unit is what it is called. And they will go down free of charge. They would just need to know uh, where the person was arrested, their name, what police station you believe they went to. Um, if you know any further information, that's helpful. But if that's all you know, then that's enough to just say, hey, the person does have to agree to allow that person to be the temporary attorney. Um, they don't even have to really talk about the case or the charges with them. Again, they are just that first uh, safety net uh, so you don't, there aren't any confessions, any, mm-hmm. um, I agree to do a lineup, any of that stuff that can happen at that first phase, especially for a young person who's never been in the system. You know, the police can be very manipulative. The system can be, but the police can be. And, you know, I know everyone has seen the, um, when they see us. Central Park uh, Five. Yes. I was going to ask when you they see us. Too. Yes. And, you know, it's it's mind-boggling to some people, but that's that's not new, right? Ava DuVernay did a wonderful job of it, did. but did. this happened a long time ago, and th- that type of stuff has been happening and mm-hmm. continues to happen today, right? It's just not as known about. Every day you see in the paper on Facebook someone else being released after 20, 30 years because 
Yes. Uh, evidence has come out that they didn't do it, even though they confessed. A lot of these confessions are not really confessions. Right. And so it happens. And, and a lot of times they manipulate young people. They're afraid they're going to say what they need to say. And you would think, why would anyone ever confess to something so horrible? I mean, our natural mind thinks that, like, who would say I did something that bad? But under certain circumstances and fear, you know, we never know what we would do in certain situations. And certainly someone who is not hip to this system, who's terrified who's thinking about, oh, my God, I'm going to be in jail, you know, who might have anxiety or some underlying emotional health or mental health issues or some medical issues that they're afraid about. You know, you just want to have that, that first layer of protection if you can. So that would be my first advice is to get someone to that police station as fast as you know that they're there. And also talk to your children before this ever happens. You pray that it never happens, but parents have a conversation with your boys and your girls about the system and how to interact with the police and what to do if ever um, arrested for something. And I, I tell even my 13-year-old, I don't care if you did it or did not do it. Don't, they'll say, listen, your friend, they'll name your best friend. They'll know stuff maybe that you, well, man, maybe they really did say I did it because how do they know her name? You don't know, but so they'll get in your mind. I want a lawyer. I want a lawyer. I'm not talking. I want a lawyer. If they just have to repeat that over and over again, if they have to close their eyes to chime out all of the other stuff, the police are saying you're going down and we got your DNA, all of this stuff, even if it's true, do not talk. And we need to tell our children that ahead of time. We need to be proactive and not wait until the situation has happened. And it's an uncomfortable conversation, right? And you don't even want to make it seem like you ever think your child is going to be in that situation. So why would I even have that conversation? But you have it the same way you have it about sex and all the other drinking and drugs, the other things that you may hope your children refrain from forever or until a certain time, but you still are obligated to be a good parent and to communicate with your children and have these conversations. And so I would say that's the first line is to have them before you ever get to this. But if you don't get that chance, send an attorney to that police station, they're, they're free. And if you can't do that, then make sure if you can, and if you care to get your child out of that jail. It's a terrible place. It breaks people down, especially people who are not made for that, who really no one's made for it, but who has not been in there. And there are so many young men that have grown up in Cook County Department of Corrections. Mm -hmm. And it is an ugly thing and it will break someone so quickly. And if you have at all the resources and it, it requires stuff, and I know it's not so easily done, but do your best. And in the meantime, make sure you keep up communication with that child, you know, go see them, write them, keep in contact with their attorney, let the attorney know that, listen, this person has family that's looking out for them, that's concerned about them. This is not just a nameless person going through the system, you know, and that doesn't mean challenging the attorney and thinking you know more and not letting them do their job, but it is saying, hey, I'm here, I care. 
if the, the child has to maybe give permission if they're an adult for that attorney to converse back and forth about the case with the parent and more than likely they will. So you just want them to know, hey, you're in court. You, you may, if you can't go every court day, you want the judge to see this person has family. And it's really just to keep that person encouraged and make sure that, um, you know, the attorney seems like they're trying. And, and again, those same things we said that a client would look for in the attorney. The, the parent should, in speaking to that attorney, have some type of confidence of what the possible outcomes are from the best to the worst. You always want to know worst case scenario. You don't never want to be blindsided. And I tell my clients, I know you don't want to hear it, but this is the worst. You always want to be knowledgeable about everything that could happen to you in that system. You know, the state may not file this violation, but if we go out and you hear them say violation of probation, this is what it means. And this is the impact it can have on you. I try to educate as much as possible. So you, the parent is also going to want to have that same type of communication with a lawyer, whether it's a paid lawyer or a private uh, public defender. And I will tell some parents, if it's between getting money together for a private and getting your baby out of custody, get your baby out of custody mm. and, and see what that public defender can do because you'll be very surprised at the level of skill mm -hmm. um, and care and fight that that public defender may have. Not all of them are great. Not all of them care, but many do. And a lot of private attorneys ask public defenders for advice. And help because they're in the trenches every single day in front of these judges dealing with these state's attorneys. And so they have a lot more, um, not necessarily experience, but they're around it more. So talk to your babies beforehand. If it happens, get an attorney to that station as quickly as possible. If you miss the station, don't freak out and think, oh my God, it's over. Just make it to that first court date, be on the phone to those police stations, know where they're going for bond court, call until you get the answers you need, be persistent, be diligent, and, and be a mama or papa bear, you know, <laughs> without getting yourself in trouble. Just, you know, keep calling until you need to, to get the information you need and be those very first court dates are what are so important at bond court is important. Sometimes the judges will ask family, hey, are you mom? How much can you afford? Can he come stay with you if we put him on house arrest? So sometimes having that faith in those first proceedings is really critical. And it is, again, it shows, I don't care how much history this person may have, a bad juvenile history. He may be a, listen, I need a whooping, but he still got a mom and a daddy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I'm here for him. So be present be supportive. Um, and, you know, I, I would think just don't give up on them. And I, again, I know every situation is going to be different and what the arrest is about and how involved it, it is with the family and what they're accused of. So, that, you know, there are all the different scenarios, but if it's just something typical on the street, guns, drugs, fighting, um, you know, teach them the lesson afterwards, but get them out of the system because it will eat them alive. It really will. That's always my advice, Camille. When if somebody is arrested and they're like, well, I need to get money for a lawyer. No, get your child out. Yes. 
Get them Good out. Stuff. Get them out of there. Yes. Good advice. Good advice. Yes. I mean, people don't now, understand that, that that small amount of time they may be locked up, if, if that's what it is. You don't know what they're going to be exposed to. So I think that's excellent advice. Just the, the things that I've witnessed as an officer. What oh, people absolutely. who have been locked up for the first time, their experiences or things. Oftentimes, when we get to the situation, it has already happened. So it's that person's account of what happened. And it's, it could be too late. I've seen people change in a small amount of time. Someone come in very naive, very innocent. And when they leave, it's like this person has been, their heart has been tainted. Yeah. And it's, it's not, I won't say they've been physically violated, but you're spiritually violated. It's not a place for somebody who's really not cut out for their life. Absolutely. And, it's and, too- and here's the thing. I'm sorry to interrupt. Here's the thing. If you're not satisfied with the public defender, which is, and again, that is for indigent clients who aren't working, um, cannot afford a private attorney. The court appoints an attorney, and that attorney works in the courtroom day in and day out with that same judge, and they represent all those people who cannot afford a private attorney, and it's quite a few. But if you initially start with the public defender, if you qualify your child or yourself and it comes to the point where you feel like I'm really not confident, I'm not satisfied. And, and again, we're not talking about because they're not telling you what you want, want to hear, but you really just feel like, you know what, this ship is sinking fast and I don't feel like this person's going to reach for me anything. You always have the ability to bring in a private attorney at a later date. So again, bond those people out first. And then if you're feeling like, you know what, this is not going, collect some more money because you could bring in a private later, but get them out of that jail. Many are treated like animals, not only by the other inmates, but by the staff. It is not a place of rehabilitation. No one sees you as human. Uh, and I might be sounding very extreme. And I'm not speaking for every single person that comes into contact with people in that system, but just as an overall, it's nowhere you want to be. I've had women, uh, I've heard of women who wanted to go to the penitentiary because the young ladies were raping each other in the county jail. That blew my mind that this woman was in a hurry to plead guilty to penitentiary time to get away from the environment. That's frightening. It's frightening. And and it can be a physical violation. It could just be a mental violation. And once that person is broken, you know, it, it's, 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 it's really hard. And, and that's not something we want for any of our children. And sometimes the bonds, there are no bonds. You know, I empathize with parents who come in and they're there front and center, like I'm saying, and they're, they're willing to bond out and the judge says no bonds and the heartbreak and the tears and it happens all the time you know and down the line those people can have bond hearings but depending on what the allegations are it may or may not be lifted you know and it's only allegations at this point you know and this could be someone with no background but if they say the right words the state spins the story enough and they're going only off the police report which 
we know from the Van Dyke case and many other cases that the police can and have lied on reports. And I'm not saying that all police lie on reports. And I'm not saying that all arrests should not happen. You know, there are obviously people doing crime because crime happens rampantly. So people are doing <laughs> right. it and people should be arrested. So I'm, mm. I'm not at all saying that, but there are those instances where it may take you two years to be found not guilty, but you have had to deal with the process all along. And I've seen people have to go through that. And thankfully, you can finally give them that day in court. But, you know, they're like, but I lost my apartment. You know, I lost my job. You know, my girl left me. I've been seeing my kids. You know, it's it's a heck of a thing. And on a young mind to be in that county, you know, and when people treat you like a savage, guess what? You're going to start acting like mm-hmm. one, right. you know. Um, and and then we're surprised when they're getting in fights and doing stuff. Well, yeah, he's been here since he was 17 years old. He's 23 now. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what do you think he's going to be doing? It's not like this is a wonderful rehabilitation and, you know, we have wonderful school and all these great <laughs> programs and people treat it. Well, and, and, and people say, well, they're in jail. They shouldn't be treated fairly and nice, you know, because we're so always pointing the finger and, and judging because we're such a judgmental country, um, you know, that we're always ready to say who the bad person is and got a million bones in our own closet. But I digress. <laughs> um, you know, I'm just saying. Um, but if we think about it, we're not doing it necessarily for them. Right. We're saying at one point, these people are going to get out and they have to come back into contact with people on the street. So how about if you don't feel like in your heart that you want to do it for the inmates, then act like we're doing everything else we do. And let's do it for ourselves and for our own families and for our own and say, you know what? And, you know, if I at least give them decent conditions and not give them green baloney every time and chemicals and they sick and they minds going bad and they, you know, and all of this stuff, then maybe if they come back out, they may have a chance of, of not breaking in another car or carrying another gun or, uh, you know, assaulting someone else. You know, we have to think bigger and we have to stop pointing the finger and saying, Oh no, you don't deserve it. So we're going to put you in this, and prison's about money too now. Oh, yeah. You know, that's a whole nother hour conversation. <laughs> <laughs> you right about that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Private private prisons as well as the non private prisons. Yeah. And that's one of the platforms that I'm seeing that some of these Democratic presidential candidates are talking about is getting rid of private prisons. And if I'm not mistaken, I think I just uh read something about New York getting rid of private prisons. Well, it would be a wonderful thing. Altogether. Yeah, because we can't have prisons for profit. But as you were talking about people not being able to afford, I was thinking about the, the term when they talk about like a pauper's prison. You have people who are sitting yeah. in the county simply because they can't afford the bunk. Absolutely. But they don't have the money to even put up the bond, so they stay there, and they could very well be innocent. And so you're just sitting and sitting and sitting and waiting to be acquitted. But you got to sit there, and there, and and that's unfair as well. And the other thought that I was had was about 
when when we were talking about get the children out, get your people out, bond them out, yeah. because there are lawyers who will work for you and take the bond. Absolutely. That, that's, I'm glad you said that. A lot of yeah. people don't know that, that they would use that bond as payment. They'll, you'll sign it over to them at the end of the case. And there are many, many mm. attorneys that will do that. And, and uh, that's a wonderful service. And speaking of those people sitting in jail, um, it's so heartbreaking. I had a client on the 5000 deposit, which means he needed $500. That client had been in jail for a year. He didn't have $500, nor did he have family that would come up with $500. And trust me, I know for five, some families, $500 is a lot. But over yeah. a course of a year, Wow. You know what I'm saying? Someone here give you 20, you can collect. I mean, it was heartbreaking for so many reasons that the court thought this was only worth 5,000 D. But once a person sits here for six months and I brought it up for bond review and it still wasn't changed, but they've sat now for how long? I mean, the punishment has, has been there, right? And bond is not even supposed to be punitive, exactly. you know? Uh, but, and they'll say, oh, I know I just had this argument today in court. And it, well, but his background and he, I said, but that's not what Bond is supposed to be about. He's not a flight risk. Why are we still talking about what his background is, right? Bond's not supposed to be punitive. He's in here for a nonviolent charge. Mm-hmm. I said, and if we're talking about uh, being a rehabilitative system, and they hate when I get up, girl, because they like, oh, <laughs> here she comes. <laughs> I can't help it. I just get off on a tangent because the state, oh, he's a bad guy. He's a seven-time convicted felon. Yeah, he does have seven felonies, but guess what? He's a drug addict. And surprise, surprise, when you're a drug addict, you do some mm. crimes. And they were nonviolent crimes. So this is not someone who's a drug addict that's out here killing and hitting people in the head. You know, it's like burglary, different things. Right. Things that no one deserves to have happen to them or their property. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, to incarcerate and take the liberty of a man for a year, and now this is someone different, for uh, maybe selling, I think it was selling one bag of drugs, allegedly. Mm. Why? Why? And why are you now refusing when he wants to go somewhere to get drug treatment on house arrest? <laughs> are you saying no? Mm. Why? You know, why? It's, it's so it's sad because it's, again, that point the finger and shake the finger and you're a bad guy. You know, we're so busy wanting to say who's bad guys. Meanwhile, we're being bad guys. Hello. You know what I mean? And, 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 and we're a bad system. And it's a, a system that was built on a lot of bad guys. <laughs> you know, and I, I think, ladies, how I fight every day and argue Fourth Amendment motions based on the Constitution. And real talk is the Constitution didn't even include me or 99% of my clients when it was written. Because right. Black people weren't even considered human. You see what I'm saying? So this whole system is fundamentally flawed. And I don't really have an answer to how we're going to fix it. You know, like I said, it's so deeply rotten. Almost like the police department. How do you strip those down and start from fresh? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a huge thing to think about. Um, and, and people are trying to chip away like they're doing the bond reforms now where you know, they have these bond initiatives where if it's a nonviolent charge, the judge is supposed to consider um, either an I-bond or the amount that the family can post because they see all of these people sitting in jail. There's people in jail for one and $200. Mm-hmm. 
at least for four and five months on misdemeanor charges. Charges that I technically don't even think you should be able to be physically locked up for. You know, but who am I? Right? So it's a huge problem. And now the big people are starting to see it. And so it's this big bond initiative. And it's had some impact. But it's still a lot of people sitting who shouldn't. You know, and every judge that's supposed to follow the rules doesn't. Because really, ladies and gentlemen, your bond depends on who is on the bench that day. Let me tell you, there's not a lot of (laughs) consistency. You know, you have some judges that understand and, and, and look at all the factors and know that a lot of factors come into play with people. And, and just because you've missed court before, they know your butt ain't got no money to flee Illinois or Chicago or really your neighborhood. So they're not really worried about you leaving. And then you have the ones that say, oh, you missed court three times before? Well, I can't give you an eye bond because you probably won't come to court. You know, and those are the ones who are a little bit more removed from the reality of the people that come before them. But, you know, a bond can be an I bond or a 50,000 D depending on the day and what judge it is. And that is not right. And that is where it needs to be some consistency and some training and holding the judges accountable to follow these new initiatives, because what good are they if the people that have to enforce them are not, you know? And, and so that is, some of the problem um state's attorneys not getting to use their discretion the way they should um you know it's a whole slew of things um you know with the system and it's hard to watch i sometimes ask myself you know how long i can do it to be honest and i'm so passionate about it but it it really just it starts disgusting you you know a little bit and um you know, it, it takes a toll on you when you just have to see it day in, even if it's not your client, even if it's something small, you just see it over and over, but you don't see, you know, you see all these black people coming out the back. And I'm thinking Chicago is huge. And I know it's not only black people committing crimes, okay. you know, yeah. and I know there's a courthouse in different neighborhoods that may have the non-black, but it's still just numbers wise majority you see police riding tickets because oh well he was riding his bike on the sidewalk so we had to approach him and somehow that turned into a search and guess what he had a bag of heroin on him well how about you just uh, roll down your window officer and say hey you know it's a rule now you can't ride your bike on the sidewalk if you're over 12 year old 12 years old because it's not televised it's not on many billboards some people don't even know that that's a law right and so (laughs) right most people don't know it and they don't go to Lincoln Park or uh, Lakeview and all of these other places and enforce it. They're just going on the west and south sides because it gives them a reason to approach, right? Because what happened to warnings? What happened to say, hey, now you know you're not supposed to drink on the public way, man. Go on and take your beer or pour that out, brother. And then, you know, go on about your business. Why would you have to arrest someone for something as petty as drinking alcohol in the public way when any Cubs game, you can go up on Clark Street and they're like walking zombies with beer and everything (laughs) else, but they're not fighting. They're enjoying themselves and they're not bothering anybody. Just like on the West Side, they're not bothering. It may be five of them in front of a house, relaxing. They're not fighting. But why would you arrest somebody for that? If you care that much, tell them to pour it out. 
and disperse or whatever. If you even need to do that or just say, hey, you know, that's arrestable. You know, more than likely they're not going to do it right, at least right in your face that time. But it's not worth it. You know what I mean? Write them a ticket. Like, let's use our discretion more. And it's not being used. And and, and that's a big problem, too, is that the police are not, um, you know, using their discretion. And it's, it's really based on the neighborhoods. And, you know, it's just mm-hmm. it's so much. It's, it's just so much. I have a, I have a question. I'm oh, sorry. Ahead. I just want to clarify um, because people may not understand what you meant when you said Fourth Amendment. So can you just tell us what that is for those that are listening? Wait, I'm sorry. What did, what did... When you mentioned the Fourth Amendment, can you explain to people what the Fourth Amendment is? Oh, the right to be free from unreasonable search and seizure. So typically um, when a Fourth Amendment motion would come into play um, in a case where maybe let's say it's a traffic stop, um, and the police claim, uh, that the reason they approached you is because you violated some type of law, but really, in fact, maybe they just saw you and maybe three of your friends in the car, or maybe it was a fancy car for the neighborhood or whatever stereotype or generalization that made them want to stop the car. They stopped the car. And then instead of saying, hey, you, your taillight or you, you didn't signal, they ask you for your license, but they ask everyone out of the car. And then they're searching the car. And they're not lawfully searching the car. Nothing, they didn't smell cannabis or they didn't see anything in plain view to give them that right or that probable cause to search the car. Then the defense attorney is going to look at all of the reports and possibly any video and decide if this is a case where a fourth amendment motion will come in and there's a ton of case law uh, that says when police have probable cause to search or to seize you and seize you basically means they have limited your uh, movement, your freedom. You're not free to go. Basically every encounter with the police is not a seizure. Majority of them are, um, and so each each case is fact specific. But in that instance, with that traffic stop, let's say you're ultimately charged with the gun that was found under the seat you were sitting in. Even if the police don't see you making any movements towards that gun, the car doesn't belong to you. And and really, routinely, when we get in the car to get a ride to a store, I don't look under the seat. Right. Most people don't really look under the seat. They may know the people they're riding with and try to have a general idea about them. But there's no proof that you even knew that weapon was there, but yet you're charged with it. And this is a scenario that we get all the time. Okay? So the lawyer may look at all of the facts, do the case law um, on the Fourth Amendment, and and particularly about probable cause and when the police can do certain things. And they can uh, write what we call a motion to quash arrest and suppress evidence. And basically it's saying to the judge, after you have your hearing, you, you're saying and arguing to the judge, listen, my client was seized. There was no warrant for that client. Uh, he was not seen committing any crimes. Uh, the search of wherever he was was illegal because there was no basis for the seizure in the first place. And it, and if, and it's a lot more to it. I'm just kind of generalizing, but, uh, if the judge and the case law mostly, agrees that the police never really had a right to stop you in the first place 
and them stopping you without a right, which makes an illegal stop, anything that is recovered that you were charged with from that illegal stop should be suppressed. Now, again, it's very fact specific and I'm being very general. Um, it depends on if there are any intervening instances, things could be a little bit different. But in certain circumstances, if the judge does find that there was no basis for the stop and the search was illegal, then that gun is suppressed, which means the state cannot use that gun against you anymore. And if that gun was the only evidence against you, it's the basis of your charge, then more than likely your charge will get dismissed. And there are many cases that get this, um, disposed of on motions. Not all of them. Everyone does not have a motion. I know a lot of people hear it and think, well, what about a motion? But it's not applicable in every case. Again, it's very fact-specific, um, but some very serious cases can be disposed of if the police are not doing their jobs properly. So uh, that is what I meant by Thanks, uh, Fourth Amendment motion. Yep. I got, I got one for you, and it's something that I've, I've witnessed taking inmates to, to court, and I really would like you to address it because women think that I dropped my charges from my man against my man. I think he should come home, not realizing that the state can pick those charges up. And then they're sitting there with their mother saying, well, we dropped the charges. I know we said that he beat us down, but we dropped the charges, so we think he should come home. Can you address that? Because so many uh, inmates, so many young men think they should go home after that, and so many young ladies think, when I drop the charges, my man will come back home to me. And this is in a domestic issue. So can you uh, clarify on that or go in depth for me a little bit? Yeah, so um, that is something. And I think, I don't know when they started kind of doing that whole thing of picking up the charges, like how long it dates back. But it probably used to be where, listen, I'm the one who said I was the victim. I'm the one that called the police and said he hit me, right? And that's, you arrested him and now he's in jail. But now either... If he really did hit me, I'm a little bit over it and I want him home. Or maybe I never, I made it up from the beginning and I'm ready to be honest about it. Who knows what the situation is, but there are a lot of CWs and that's the word for complaining witnesses or victim, AKA victim in certain cases who, especially in domestics, will change their mind. Now, I think the state started realizing that, again, a lot of, especially women in abusive relationships, that it's this cycle, right, that you are angry enough, you call the police, he hurt you, and then he says, oh, baby, I'm sorry, you know, I won't do it anymore, or you start feeling scared that you press charges, and so they didn't really trust a lot of the reasons that people were withdrawing these charges, and so they started oh. picking them up and said, well, you came you made this sworn statement. Sometimes they have you testify in front of the court in order to get a warrant to arrest oh. that person. You come in and say, he pushed me. Um, and sometimes they will force your hand and, you know, say, well, we're not going to drop the charges. You know, mm -hmm. now they may say that up until it's just enough for that person to plead guilty or the attorney to say, okay, well, let's go to trial then. Because we had this person who's saying they didn't do it. You know, and so they kind of will play that whole game of we'll pick up the charges. And sometimes they really will carry it through all the way to the end. 
But it's hard to prove a case when you don't have someone cooperating with you who's the alleged victim. But anytime you have made a prior statement on the record or was sworn to it, they can use that against you. And you can come on the stand and say, no, he didn't do it. And even though you're really their witness, you know, they can say, well, closer to the time, didn't you have these injuries? And, you know, didn't you swear and say that this is what he did and he punched you and he this and that? You know what I mean? So it's it's a very um, funny uh, situation. Uh, you know, on one hand, uh, domestic violence is, is such an awful thing and a lot of victims are afraid and, you know, they, they get enough courage for one minute to do it and then something happens. And and so it's it's like a double double-edged sword that... Um, is really sometimes hard for the attorneys because, you know, you're in this situation where you have to make some decisions with the client, you know, of, of how you want to proceed, you know, based on, is there a lot of evidence that that person was telling the truth initially, you know, and you, you better pray your client isn't the reason they're saying, I don't want to press charges. Don't be on that jail phone. (laughs) saying stop you know which has happened you know it has happened um you know I don't want any uh letters and don't have your sister calling and telling them to stop Mm. pressing charges because that's a whole nother charge you know but yes there is such a thing as the state picking up the case and it not just going away as as quickly as you thought it would you know sometimes they'll just say okay I'm not going to be bothered with it but if it's a really serious case with some serious injuries you know they're gonna frown and say you know what I don't trust this you know I I I don't believe that this didn't happen and in particular if there was a witness to it they don't even need the victim anymore Mm. if there was someone who saw the domestic violence or the fight outside or the fight on the CCA bus between a spouse or girlfriend boyfriend girlfriend girlfriend whoever sister brother because domestic covers roommates it covers mother son mother daughter it covers um i've had brother and sisters against each other people think (laughs) it's only romantic relationships but it's any domestic relationship you know so there's been mothers against sons (laughs) yeah 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 i had a uh, yeah mothers who have their sons in jail for breaking their flat screen TV, you know, criminal damage to property could be domestic related. Mm. And it's really, it's unbelievable because it's like, wow, I know you might have a lot dealing with this son who might have anger issues, mental health, who knows? I mean, it, it may not be rainbows at home, but you're thinking, wow, the justice system, you know, but there's no judgment because who am I? I don't know what's going on in the house, what measures you took before this. You know, but it just seems so extreme, like a TV, you know, this system, you know, a TV. But again, no judgment, because I know there's some mothers that go through a lot with kids, you know, so I I don't know. But yeah, it doesn't automatically go away um, in that instance. And um, you still really sometimes have to fight with the state or really take it to trial, you know. Camille, you know, you have a heart. <laughs> and, and, and I say that, and, I, and I'm going to bring this up. Because of what you do, and you defend criminals every single day, 
and you zealously advocate for your clients. And I'm sure you have some people that walk in there who've been accused of all sorts of heinous crimes. You mm-hmm. have people who you know are guilty, but they still deserve a defense, but you still have the heart to defend. And I'm going here because you experienced a tragedy yourself. Yeah. Um, with your family, with, um, with the murder of your grandmother. And yet you still, yeah. yet you still have the heart that you have today to defend those, you know, who, 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 that people still have a right to a defense. And so it has yeah. your heart. And I just, I just had to say that because as I'm listening, you know, as we're doing this conversation and I'm listening to you and you're telling people, no, the system is this way and you really could be better and you're not. And so I just appreciate that about you. And I just kind of wanted to say something about that. Um, And if you care to talk about it, please. Absolutely. And and you know what? I really appreciate that because it's so funny. Sometimes I really have to stop and ask myself, like, how do you still do this? You know, I, I, I think sometimes it brings all to myself as well to say, you know, how is this? And, and, and this is actually the second person very important in my life who was murdered. Um, my child's father was murdered as well years ago. Yes. And I really thought that it would mark um, my abilities and, and kind of bias me. Um, and it didn't. And I think um, that just like I know that I'm not above becoming a defendant, um, I'm also not above becoming a victim. And I, I I don't know how long it will last, to be honest. So last year in June, uh, my 81-year-old grandmother uh, was murdered in her home um, in a really brutal and, and really heinous way. Um, and, and we're still uh, seeking justice. Um, and the police are actively working on the case. And, and we have confidence in them. And and we're working with the police, um, you know, um, but we, we have not uh, had any final things uh, come yet. Um, but a little bit of it, I think, is that I'm so kind of still in a shock about what happened with my grandmother that it really allows me to still go through life um, almost not as if it didn't happen because I'm very well aware of that it did. Um, but there's this, this layer of uh, insulation I think I have put around myself really from the day I found out about it just because of the brutal nature of it, almost a, a shock. Uh, but one, I've just kind of been trying to ride the wave of just to kind of get through and keep putting one foot in front of the other. Um, but at the same time, I really want to believe um, that as much as, as I want justice in my grandmother's case, and we do, and I want to talk about that later, justice for Thana. Her name was Thana Muhammad, and she was a beautiful, beautiful, strong boss woman who gave back to her community and, and just really made some power moves throughout her life. But as much as I want 
and, and we actively seek justice for her, I still know, and she would still want me to fight the way I do because this system was flawed before what happened to her, right? And whoever is going to be held accountable for what happened to her, they will also get their day in court. And we will pray that the evidence is so strong that even the best defense attorney who crosses the T's and dots the I as they should, right? Because everyone deserves a fair trial. And we would hope that even um, this person who did this to my grandmother, we would just hope and pray that the evidence was just so strong that it would result in the right outcome. But it would be very hypocritical of me to only think in my case, right, when I'm a victim or my family is a victim, that suddenly everything shouldn't apply anymore. Because all of my clients or some of them, if they're not property crimes or drug crimes or just gun cases, have victims. And I care what happened to those people as well. And because I defend the client doesn't mean that I ignore what happened to this person, that I don't empathize with this person, and I don't think it's horrible what happened to this person. But in some role I play, right, depending on the case and the evidence, sometimes a defense attorney is there just to be a safekeeper uh, of justice, let's say, you know, to make sure that, okay, you have this blood evidence. Well, how did you get it? You know, we're going to make sure that it, it was tagged properly, make sure that it wasn't cross-contaminated. You want to make sure everything, because we all want the right person, right? And so sometimes you're not there to necessarily beat the case. Sometimes you're there just to mediate, to like say, you know, like some when the death penalty was still here, you know, there were some attorneys where the evidence was so strong, but they were just there to try to get maybe life sentence. That was a win for them instead of uh, the death penalty. You know what I mean? So sometimes depending on your case, you're just there to make sure things happen properly and, and that way. And so I keep telling myself, um, that even though this happened to my grandmother, um, and even though we want the person held accountable, uh, that it still has no bearing on what I have to go do every day. You know, when we have picked juries, we ask them, did anything ever happen to you? Well, yes, you know, maybe I was robbed or I was raped or I was beaten. And they'll say, well, you do, you do, are you able to separate that? Do you know that this person is not the one that did that? Yes. Would you be able to give this person a fair trial? Yes. Now, obviously, if it's a sex trial or some type of sexual assault, you're not going to necessarily want that person who's been raped because even if they think with their strongest heart they could be unbiased, more than likely they may not be. So as a defense attorney, you would probably say, you know what, mm, we're not going to put them through that. You know, we just don't want to chance it. It may trigger some trauma. Um, and really, it's just not fair. You know, why would someone want to sit through that, right? And so it's almost the same way. You have to say to yourself, you know, these are not uh, the people that did this. And I just stand for the fundamental pr 
principle of uh, justice and equality and know that this country is not built on upon those uh, foundations. And I still just try to step forward, you know, in, in, in peace and positivity. And um, but I would not be honest at all if I did not tell you that sometimes I wonder how long I can be uh, in this type of system doing this type of work only because it's it is you absorb it and it, some of it is so toxic and you know not only the fights against injustice but just some of the cases you know it's a lot and so now I'm very happy that I'm able to still do it and and if I can't do it with passion girl I'm telling you I'm really gonna bow out because once that leaves there would really be no place for me in the system because I think you have to be passionate in order to get through all of this stuff that you go through in the system. Um, but for now, uh, we're still praying for justice for Thana, for my beautiful grandmother. She just would have made 83 on July 10th. Well, we lit some candles and, and had a cake in celebration of her, my family and I. Um, and we are still seeking answers, ladies and gentlemen of Chicago community. If you hear or know anything, about the murder of Thana Muhammad that happened in June of 2018. Uh, we still very much want to know anything additional, uh, any little thing that helps, regardless of what is known already. Uh, the more, the better. Um, and, and so we are still seeking those answers. But I, I, I walk in the strength of my grandmother and um, I really let her spirit lead me and her strength. She had been through a lot of things in life and she did not allow it to take her out. And so I would like to emulate her um, as long as I can in those uh, characteristics that she had. But I really appreciate you seeing that and, and acknowledging and noticing that. So I guess we're at our challenges. And so when Hakima turns her microphone back on, she can give us our challenges. <laughs> right, I was just talking, right? Man, this is powerful. Man, I'm sitting here like, woo, we can go on for another hour. But this brings me to my challenges. And challenges number one is, all of you out there, out there that's sitting with information on these crimes that have been unsolved, need to come forward and, and report what you know. There's too many unsolved cases, and definitely we definitely need to get justice for Grandma Muhammad. We definitely need to get justice for her. So if anyone has any information on that case, please come forward. But if you have information on any other cases that have been unsolved, please come forward. You will bring justice to the family. My second uh, challenge is learn your rights. We've been talking about rights today. Learn them. Just because the officer approached you don't mean they know the rights. It's up to you to know your own rights. You cannot just assume, oh, they doing it, they can do it. We need to know our rights. Next thing, next challenge that I have is make that right decision, bond or pay, paid attorney. As we talked about today is try to get your family up out of that system. Get them out of there while they're fighting the case because you, you just don't know the trauma that they're going to experience while they're locked up. So if you have the choice to go bond or paid attorney, try to bond your, your um, family member out so that they can fight their case on the outside, not on the inside. 
Do you research people? This is the last challenge. Do your research on the criminal justice system. Not just learn your rights, but understand the system itself. You cannot help contribute, improve a system if you don't know anything about it. And those are my challenges. I'm, I'm going to leave you a last word, Sister Camille. I think those are all wonderful challenges. I'm telling you, every single one of them, I'm sitting here like, yes, yes, <laughs> yes, we have to start speaking out. Um, I know there is this code of silence, and I just want to end with that. Um, and because I'm seeking answers about my own family, there are so many in my family's position that have unanswered questions, and our communities are terrified, and, and we know a lot of these answers and we're afraid or we just have become accustomed to the no snitching. But guess what? Snitching is when you do a crime with someone else and then you tell on them. It has become really uh, miscommunicated and misconstrued that you're snitching uh, when you tell something that you know about a horrible crime that has happened. That is not snitching. It is not dishonorable. Um, does it sometimes compromise safety? Absolutely. And I understand that and emp empathize with that. And I, I know our systems and state attorneys and police don't always have measures in place, especially for people in our communities uh, to say, well, you want me to tell this and come testify, but what are you going to, how are you going to help me when I have to go home? And everyone knows or thinks that I said something. So we are not you know, uh, not thinking about that. But just as a whole, we have to take back our communities and show that we care. And, and I think that that challenge of speaking up is huge. Um, for I just want to say for my grandmother's case, um, I had a couple of numbers that I wanted to put out. Um, we have a, a Justice for Thana Muhammad, Justice for Thana page on Facebook. Um, as well um, as Twitter, uh, the area South detectives, if you know anything about the Fanta Muhammad murder from June of 2018, uh, she was found on the south side in the area of 100th Street and Forest Avenue in her home. Um, the area South detectives phone number is 312-747-8271. Again, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, it's Justice for Santa, and that is T-H-A-N-A. And also, we have our own family uh, email. It's justiceforthana at gmail.com if you want to send a communication, if you want to send a prayer. Uh, listen, we need all the love, prayer. We need any answers. Um, you know, we are here uh, in the community, uh, walking amongst the community. We are part of the community, and my grandmother was, and she deserves answers. And we know that the police are seeking answers, uh, but they can't always do it all. Um, a lot of things they rely on the community for uh, because we are around when a lot of things happen. We see a lot of things that are out of place. Um, and so we ask for your help if you have it. And if you don't have any information, we would just appreciate your prayers um, and, and well wishes um, just for my family, uh, any emotional support, prayers um, for my mom, 
who was a devastated daughter, but a warrior fighter um, seeking justice for her mom, my grandmother. Um, and I just really appreciate this time, ladies, and, and just allowing me to talk about what I love and ramble on. And I hope I didn't ramble too much, but I have really ramble. enjoyed this time. No, <laughs> and and hope that I appreciate it. And I hope that someone got something from it. Um, you know, uh, it's an ugly system. Take care of your people. Talk to your kids, to your adults. It's never too late to be educated. Um, like she said, know your rights. A lot of the police don't know. And if they do know, sometimes they're still violating them. But uh, believe it or not, a lot of them don't really know what case law says. They don't know. They go to the academy, but they don't know. Um, so know your rights. Um, you don't have to go to law school. It's just a little reading, research. <laughs> um, it, you can learn so much that way. And um, just lift, uplift everyone. If, if we all are good to each other um, and, and try to uplift each other, I think that we can really remedy a lot of this poison that the world is now infested with. And there's so many uh, people dealing with trauma. Um, we have a, a, a Thana Foundation. I, I'm sorry, I wanted to say that. Uh, we formed a Thana Foundation in honor of my grandmother, and we want to address uh, trauma in our communities. And our first uh, program is going to be October 5th at IIT. And I can get the flyer for you, but we are presenting on suicide because you hear so much now about children committing suicide, uh, police committing suicide, mothers uh, killing themselves and their children who really didn't seem to have any prior mental health issues. It's just a huge problem right now and it's really a lot of undiagnosed trauma we believe and a lot of undiagnosed uh, PTSD in our communities we see videos and people getting killed and hear of our friends and and we just go to work the next day and think it doesn't poison our mind and hearts and souls and it does and so we want to address trauma and, and especially in the midst of dealing with our own trauma we want to try to reach out and that is our therapy for ourselves and it's going to be at IIT, uh, the Thana Foundation. It's going to be on police and uh, community suicide. And um, we will get a flyer out. So look for that again. I saved the date, October 5th, 2019. All right, thank October you. October 5th, 2019. You guys heard that. Yes. All right. Thank you so much for joining us, Camille. You have brought a wealth of information and knowledge to it and passion because that's the one aspect of the criminal justice system that is left out. There are so many people who are working inside the criminal justice system that has so much passion to help those who are actually inside the criminal justice system. So thank you all for listening. Thank you for listening every week. And we look forward to join, for you joining us. Thanks for listening to another episode of Conversations with the Royal Empress. Tune in next week for another enlightening conversation. For more information on the Royal Empress, please visit the website royalempress.org. You can also follow the Royal Empress on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. 
Conversations with the Royal Empress is a subsidiary of the Royal Empress Organization. All rights reserved.